family members start calling. They're saying, Chris, we heard you're thinking about not doing chemo. And you just need to understand that your life is at stake. You need to do exactly what the doctor says. And, you know, don't you think if there was something better, they'd know about it? And I know somebody that tried alternative therapy and they died. And I'm like, I don't know how to answer these questions. I don't even know what to say. I'm like, I'm only on chapter two of this book. I don't know. Like, I just know that I prayed and this thing showed up and I've got a very strong confirmation in my spirit. This is what I need to do. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Today, I am talking to a wonderful friend and stage three cancer survivor, Chris Work. He is also the best-selling author of the newly released book, Chris Beat Cancer. Now, I invited Chris to come onto the Essentially You podcast to talk honestly about his journey to beating cancer and how his message has transformed thousands of lives since then. But before we get into this incredible conversation that will inspire you to take a deep look at your lifestyle, I want to quickly share the hormone revolution I have been leading right now with 28 brilliant women. So earlier this year, when I was working on my upcoming book, The Essential Oils Hormone Solution, as you guys know, I've been working on this since last September, and it's coming out in February 2019. And let me tell you how much gratitude I'm experiencing right now because the book is available on Amazon for presale. And it is selling like hotcakes, which really just reaffirms that so many women are ready for this message. So while I was working on the book, I was inspired to bring together an amazing group of women to educate on the benefits of essential oils, lifestyle, and nutrition for the benefit of women's hormone health. And as a result, the Essential Oil Hormone Summit was created. And wow. Did these women deliver on stellar content that will serve other women around the world? Now, since my last podcast episode, which if you guys didn't check it out, it's episode number 39 with Brienne Hovey, one of the presenters on the Essential Oil Hormone Summit. We talked about self-care mastery, belief mindset, and so much connecting to our worth around self-care. But during that time, I talked for the first time about the summit, and I received so many wonderful emails and messages of women who are registering, they're buying the early bird, they are so excited, but they really wanted to know more about what they were gonna learn. So I wanna take a moment and share what you're gonna get. What are some of those insider secrets to this beautiful summit? So here are some things. One, you're gonna get make at home essential oil blends to support thyroid function and to support gut health. You're gonna learn how to detox excess estrogen and cortisol by optimizing liver function, recipes for exhaustion and cravings so you're not relying on sugar and caffeine, oils that are great for menopause and breast health, and this is also Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so I'm super excited that we have a whole interview by Dr. Zia Nix on breast health. Also, secret recipes for beautiful, youthful skin that don't involve toxins, deep self-care recipes and rituals that lower fatigue, stress, and brain fog, how to make self-care 
healthcare by creating a powerful morning and evening routine, how to confidently navigate hormone fluctuations for perimenopause, PMS, and menopause, and then also why hormones are directly connected to brain chemistry and how you can use oils to solve emotional distress. And this is just some of the insider secrets and recipes and recommendations you're gonna get. There is so much more, but that's not the best part. The best part is that the Essential Oil Hormone Summit was created to raise money for a very specific organization, and that is to empower women and girls through this organization called Days for Girls. And people have been asking me, well, why Days for Girls? And here is why. Millions of women and girls around the world resort to using rags, mattress stuffings, banana leaves, feathers, even cow dung to manage their menstruation every month. And Days for Girls is designed to provide safe and beautiful, washable, long-lasting menstrual, reusable menstrual pads that can last up to two years along with vital health education. That is their mission. That's what they do. So when I decided to create this summit, it wasn't just to give you the most up-to-date information on how oils can be used to balance your hormones. It was all about making a difference in the lives of these women around the world. My mission is to help women everywhere become the CEO of their own healthcare. This means always having solutions that work for you at your fingertips and never letting a health challenge stop you from living your best life. So when you sign up for this free online summit and purchase all 29 recordings along with the bonuses and everything, you will be making a big contribution to Days for Girls which is important to ensuring that girls all over the world don't miss school due to adequate period supplies. You know, by giving these girls and women the education and tools that they need to be able to go to school and manage their period, we're ensuring another generation doesn't have to be held hostage by her hormones and normal functioning body, right? Because let's be honest, our periods are a normal function of how we create life in this world. It's such a beautiful thing, yet women and girls around the world have no idea what it means, don't have the supplies to manage it, and are often belittled and ridiculed because of it. So will you join me in making a difference for yourself and for women everywhere? If you are ready to say yes, and I hope that you are, just head on over to the show notes or you can just go to the website, which is eohormonesummit.com. This link will be in the show notes. It'll also be on my website at drmarisa.com. And everything that you need is going to be there. I really want to invite you to come and participate. It's going to be October 26th to 27th online, all audio, super easy to listen to and really get that information. If you choose into the early bird, which goes till October 21st, you will get full access to everything. You'll get tons of bonuses. And then we also have a VIP package where you get even more amazing bonuses. You're able to raise more money and you get my essential oil hormone solution book as a bonus, which is so exciting. Okay, let's get back to this wonderful conversation today. Now, before Chris comes on to share his incredible story, around beating cancer, I wanna quickly sing his praises. Chris Work was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer in 2003 at 26 years old. After surgery, he opted out of chemotherapy and used nutrition and natural therapies to heal. He began sharing his story in 2010 with a mission to inspire people to take control of their health and reverse disease by radically transforming their diet and lifestyle. 
Chris has reached millions of people per year as a blogger, podcaster, speaker, and global health coach through his social media channels and his website, Chris Beat Cancer. His new book, Chris Beat Cancer, is a comprehensive plan for healing naturally and was published by Hay House in September. So I just want to say, let's bring him on and see how incredible that story is. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Chris Work. How are you doing today, Chris? Marisa, I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. My book came out yesterday, so I'm like extra excited about life. I am basking and glowing in your awesome abundance right now. Your book is doing so well on Amazon and for good reason. You know, I've been really blessed to be able to share your message for a couple of years now and loved when I met you several years ago, I want to say three years ago, we met and just knew immediately that not only did you have a message, but that you had a very authentic, not only authentic message, but you shared your truth in a way that really touches the heart of people and gives a lot of us hope, which we need right now. Thank you so much. Yeah, I know. You were one of my favorite people I met at Mindshare that first year. I went to that conference and uh, you and Robin and uh, a handful of other people. And yeah, just great to know you. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Well, we are going to be talking about the book today, but what I want to do first, because I know that what you've created over the years has really stemmed from your journey. And I would love for you to share your journey and how that has inspired you to not only write this book, but to help serve, I want to say, on the scale of millions of people over the last several years, really help to give them not only tools, but to give them hope to fight and to hopefully win the battle with cancer. Yeah. So I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer when I was 26. And this was December 2003, two days before Christmas. And I had had abdominal pain for many months and, you know, took them a while to figure out what was wrong. And eventually a colonoscopy found a golf ball sized tumor in my large intestine. And they sent it, took a biopsy and sent it to the lab. And they called me up and said, you have colon cancer. And so at that time, you know, I'm 26 years old. I had no family history of cancer, no friends that had gone through cancer. And I was an entrepreneur, real estate investor, musician, like writing songs, playing in a band, playing shows and busy and a newlywed. I'd been married just over two years, actually. And just hit me like a total, like a Mack truck. And I, my life changed forever. Like that was the day my life changed forever was the cancer diagnosis. And like most cancer patients, I was rushed into treatment. I didn't know anything about cancer. I didn't really have time to think about my life or why I was sick or what I could do to help myself, you know, what the causes might be. I was just told, listen, we've got to get you into surgery right away to cut this thing out of you before it spreads and kills you. And so I was like, okay. So I had surgery about a week later, I was able to postpone it. They wanted to get me into surgery before Christmas. Like I'd be in the hospital on Christmas and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so depressing. That's a quick turnaround, Chris. That's, that was pretty serious. Yeah. And you know, this is very common. Patients are uh, often rushed into treatment. I mean, it's like you got the diagnosis today. We're going to have you on chemo tomorrow. It's crazy how fast the cancer industry moves. So I had to surgery on December 30th. They took out a third of my large intestine, which is also known as the colon, the tumor. And they discovered during surgery that it had spread 
to surrounding lymph nodes. They took those out and they said, look, we got, you know, we got everything we could see, but you're stage three C. So you're going to need nine to 12 months of chemotherapy. And, and the reason I needed nine to 12 months of chemotherapy is because surgery rarely cures colon cancer. It's, it's stage three. And when you have cancer, even if you're stage one or two, you already have circulating cancer cells and circulating tumor cells, cancer stem cells and tumor cells in other parts of your body. Those cells leave the primary tumor site before a tumor or a lesion is big enough to detect. You already have cancer cells leaving that site, looking for other places to set up and start growing. So the industry knows this. They typically don't tell patients that because it scares them. So I'm in the hospital. I wake up from surgery to bad news, you know, that now I'm going to be a chemo patient shortly. And a couple of things happened in the hospital that got me thinking differently about my life and my situation and about the medical industry. The first thing that happened was the very first meal they served me after taking out a third of my large intestine. Do you know what the, do you know what it was? I have a feeling, but tell me. <laughs> you got to guess. Okay, I want to say it was a burger or <laughs> yes, close. that's what else do they serve at the hospital. <laughs> close, very close guess. It was a sloppy joe. Oh my gosh, Chris, that's so disgusting. Oh, so disgusting. I couldn't believe they put it in front of me. I mean, I, I was on some heavy drugs, right? And I was just like, what is this? Like, why are they serving sloppy joes? Am I at summer camp? Am I in prison? Like, is, am I in the military? Like, why are they serving this in a hospital? That's disgusting. To a cancer patient. To a cancer patient. You know, to anyone who's sick, but a cancer patient. And not to mention the irony that red meat is a known cause of colon cancer. It's a group two carcinogen classified. Yes, it is. International Agency for Research on Cancer, Division of the World Health Organization. So it's like, I mean, how clueless and disconnected can we possibly be? Like, why is there such a huge, a vast chasm between health care and health? nutrition. It's called money. And again, I didn't know anything back then. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to ask you, you clearly, you knew enough that one should not be served sloppy joes right after having a big chunk of their colon removed, but you weren't plant-based at the time. You were just, you were just a 26 year old guy doing your thing and you weren't big into health. You're probably just living a normal, normal. You weren't drinking green juice every day at this time. I'm assuming. Nope. No, no, no. Like I'm doing right now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was eating fast food, junk food, tons of barbecue sandwiches, burgers, like pizza, like, you know, eating whatever I wanted. I've never had a weight issue. I've always been thin. So, I mean, I can eat whatever I want. It doesn't affect me physically. So I'd eaten that way since, you know, a kid, most of my yeah. life, really standard American diet, the Western diet, fast food, junk food, processed food, tons of meat and dairy and oils and sugar and salt. And so people listening right now are like, well, if you take all that out, what's left? <laughs> I'll get to it. (laughs) We're going to get to that. Yes. (laughs) So I actually did work at a wild oats, which got bought by Whole Foods. I worked at a wild oats market in college. So like I knew what health food was. My mom routinely bought health food items when I was a kid, like, you know, the, the crunchy peanut butter you have to stir up instead of Peter Pan, you know, and she would buy sprouts. We always had some sprouts in the fridge, like alfalfa sprouts or kefir and stuff like that, wheat germ. So we always had like little health food, health food store items around the house because my mom was really into that stuff. Not as hardcore as today's moms by any means. I mean, she took me to McDonald's anytime I wanted, you know, so she, 
she wasn't as militant, let's just say, as today's crunchy moms are, and as we are as a family. But anyway, so I had a background, you know, an understanding that there is such a thing as health food, there is such a thing as junk food, right? And I would never ask for a sloppy Joe ever in my life. Like it's never right. something it's, I'm like, hmm, that sounds good. May I have like that? not in your day to day? You weren't yeah. ordering a sloppy Joe the day before, and then just happened to get one in the cancer ward, <laughs> right? <laughs> I've never ordered one. And you know, they don't even serve them in restaurants because nobody likes them. No, they're disgusting. So anyway, so that, you know, kind of got the wheels turning a little bit and it was just kind of weird. Like we laughed about it and it was like, this is ridiculous. And I ate it. I was hungry. And then the day I was checking out of the hospital, my surgeon came by and we were chatting and I said, Hey, is there anything, any food I need to avoid? because I didn't want to eat the wrong thing and screw up the surgery or melt the stitches or whatever, right? Right. You're more so concerned, not even so much to eat for supporting your body after a surgery like this for cancer, but more so concerned about, okay, your colon just went through the ringer and it's a part of the digestive system. Things got to go through that. So that's where you're concerned too at the time. You're not even asking him about cancer necessarily, just about anything you should be avoiding. Right. You know, I mean, I instinctively wanted to help myself get better, right? I didn't Mm -hmm. want to do anything to hurt myself further. And his answer to that question was, no, just don't lift anything heavier than a beer. So that meant beer was on the table. Beer's on the table. Basically, he was saying, doesn't matter what you eat, right? He just gave me permission to go home and eat whatever I wanted, right? Diet doesn't matter, right? Just don't strain yourself. So... I, again, I thought that was weird, right? I was a little uncomfortable with that statement. I, I guess I was expecting him to be being an abdominal or intestinal surgeon to say, oh yeah, well, listen, these kind of foods are really good for your digestive tract or for healing or for your gut or something, right? So no, not, I didn't get any dietary advice from him. So I go home and I'm recovering from surgery and I was thinking about my life and my future and thinking about what I would become what what chemotherapy treatment would do to me. And I'd seen chemo patients out in the world, you know, here and there. And many of them, and if anybody has cancer and is going through chemotherapy, don't take this the wrong way. But, you know, the people I had seen in the world, I mean, it was it was disturbing when you see a late stage cancer patient and they're emaciated and they're bald and their their eyes are sunken in, their skin's yellow, and they're wearing a mask over their mouth. Like like, it's like, wow, you know, I can't imagine what that person's going through. Like they are suffering. And I imagined myself as that person. And the idea of allowing a therapy, saying yes to a treatment that could potentially do that to my body was something I had a hard time with, right? I'm thinking like, I don't know if I want to let them give me a drug that's going to make me worse. The idea of poisoning my way back to health didn't really make sense to me. And, and I understood like, oh yeah, it's supposed to kill the cancer, but, but it's like so destructive to your body at the same time. I, you know, I'm just really Mm -hmm. having a hard time with this idea, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you're so young. Yeah. I mean, 26. And by the way, you know, just for anybody listening, I, I don't tell people don't do surgery or don't do chemo or whatever, right? It's everybody's got to make their own decisions, but it's really important that patients make a decision that is rooted in facts and faith and not in fear. And my new book, 
crispy cancer is all about that. It's all about how to navigate treatment, how to make decisions that are best for you. I tell my story, of course, and then I talk about exactly everything that I did to help my body heal, to support my body's ability to repair, regenerate, detoxify, and heal. So you here you are, you're in that moment, and there has to be a lot of fear coursing through you at the time. How were you able to kind of step out of that and, and to come into a place of making a decision based on, as you mentioned, hope and, and facts? You know, was that a really difficult transition? Because I know you've worked with so many cancer patients and, you know, that's exactly what the doctors and I feel like the medical institution does is they put us in this really crazy state yeah. of fear. Well, the, the painkillers helped. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> In the beginning, because I was on lots of those after the surgery. So I, I, I wasn't feeling the full effects of fear yet, but I'll get to that. I promise. So I'm wrestling with this internal conflict about what, whether I should do chemotherapy. And I didn't know what else to do. I didn't have any other options. No one had told me about any other options. And so my wife and I just prayed about it. And I was like, God, if there's another way besides chemotherapy, please show me. And two days later, I got a book. It was sent to me from a man who was a friend of my dad's who lived in Alaska. And I start reading this book and it was written by another guy who had healed his own colon cancer by radically changing his diet and life. And he adopted a raw food diet and started juicing. And he was a, actually a former pastor who had seen a lot of church members suffer and die through cancer treatment. had seen his mother suffer and die through it. And then he got colon cancer and he was like, well, I'm not doing that. You know, like what else is there? And he happened to have a friend who said, you need to go back to the Garden of Eden, man. Raw fruits and vegetables. And you should probably start juicing carrots like a lot and drink a lot of carrot juice. And so a year after his diagnosis, uh, his tumor was gone. His body healed it. And I'm reading his story and I'm like, oh my, I, I can't believe this. This is exactly what I'm looking for. Like this is the answer to my prayer. This is it. I had no doubt. I mean, I was choked up with them, like emotional choked up, like kind of blubbering on the couch <laughs> in my house and just that in the morning reading this book. And I called my wife and I was so excited. I was like, I got this book and like, we got to get a juicer. And uh, I wasn't making any sense. And she was like, well, you're still doing treatment, right? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I don't think I want to do chemo. I just, I just, I don't know. And after we get off the phone, other family members start calling. They're saying, Chris, we heard you're thinking about not doing chemo. And you just need to understand that your life is at stake. You need to do exactly what the doctor says. And, you know, don't you think if there was something better, they'd know about it? And I know somebody that tried alternative therapy and they died. And I'm like, I don't know how to answer these questions. I, I don't even know what to say. You know, I'm like, I'm only on chapter two of this book. I don't know. Like, I just know that I prayed and this thing showed up and I've got a very strong confirmation in my spirit. This is what I need to do. So I entered a whole new dimension of anxiety and confusion when people around me who love me were all telling me that the answer to my prayer was not the answer to my prayer. But I'm stubborn and I'm an only child. And so I was like, I'm doing it anyway. I want to live. And I had an epiphany, the epiphany that was so powerful for me. And it's one that I try to encourage every cancer patient to have, to accept and to realize, believe that this is true, is that if you have cancer, and this applies to heart disease and diabetes and a lot of chronic diseases, 
if you have cancer, you, you should go ahead and assume that the way you're living is killing you. Not to blame or shame or anything like that, but to open your eyes so you realize that your choices matter, that you have the power to change, that you have the power to affect your future, that today's decisions affect tomorrow's health, and that cancer is largely a man-made disease and a man-caused disease. We are causing our own cancers. Only 5% of cancers are genetic, which means up to 95% of them are caused, which we know by three factors, diet, lifestyle, and environment. Those are the three cancer causers, known cancer factors accounting for up to 95% of cancers. So this is good news. This good is news. good news. Because that means, wait a second. You get to make change. Yeah. If the way I'm living is killing me, then I can change my life. What if? What would happen if I start eating and living and thinking and acting completely differently than I have been? What would happen? And so I got excited about the prospect of radically changing my life. It was, I looked at it like an adventure, like what, like, man, this is going to be fun and kind of crazy and people are going to think I'm insane, but it's okay. Like I'm just, this is what I've got to do to get well. I just knew it deep in my core, right? I knew that's what I had to do to get well. And I wasn't sure about chemotherapy and I just was still like, I don't know about this. I don't know. It doesn't, it seems like it's going to hurt me more than help me. And, and I wanted to build my body up. I wanted to improve my body's ability to heal. I wanted to improve my immune system. You know, your immune system is one of the main reasons you have cancer or you don't is how well is your immune system functioning? And so chemotherapy, most of those drugs destroy your immune system. And the perspective that the medical industry takes on cancer, you know, there's two perspectives on disease, really. You've got the allopathic perspective and the naturopathic, right? And the allopathic perspective, the conventional medicine perspective is that if you have a disease like cancer, we need to poison it, kill it, cut it out, radiate it, burn it, right? We need to destroy the tumor. But the tumor is not the problem. The tumor is just a symptom of the disease. Cancer is a system-wide, systemic, metabolic disease. The tumors are just the symptom. So you're not sick because you have cancer. You have cancer because you're sick. And so cutting a tumor off doesn't fix the problem. Your body will make more tumors. New tumors are going to grow. You can keep cutting them off. You're still going to keep making new tumors. So the key is you have to stop making tumors, right? You have to change the internal environment, what they call the terrain. You have to change your terrain and make your body a place where cancer cannot thrive. You have to make your body what's called inhospitable to cancer. And unfortunately, drugs, surgery, radiation, they don't change your terrain. No, I think they right? make it pretty hospitable. That's right. They can make it worse. Mm -hmm. Chemotherapy drugs can make not only destroy your immune system, but make existing cancers more aggressive and cause new cancers in the body. And that's things that doctors don't like to talk about. They're not comfortable telling patients that, but that's the truth for many patients. So as I'm thinking through all this, I'm, I'm thinking, I want to do everything I can do to feed my body, to nourish my body, to love it, to serve it, to, to build it up. I don't want to break it down. I don't want to tear it down. And then, then I have even further to climb to get my health back right? 
And so it's like, if you, you know, if you're halfway up a, up a mountain and you're like, well, I'm just going to jump off the cliff and then, and then start at the bottom again. So I overnight converted to a raw food diet, organic fruits and vegetables, bought a juicer, started juicing carrots, was drinking 64 ounces of carrot juice every day. That's eight, eight ounce servings. My skin turned orange pretty, you know, pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, I was going to say. <laughs> pretty quickly. Like a baby, you know, if you give a baby too many carrots or too many sweet potatoes, their skin turns orange. It's not a bad thing. It's not a problem. It's just excess beta carotene is stored in your skin. If you have more than you need, your body will store it in your skin. It'll turn you orange temporarily. So I just went 100% all in. I'm doing this, right? And in the meantime, I have, you know, I'm hearing from family members, church members, and I talk to my pastor, like, you know, people are trying to talk me into chemotherapy. And so I reluctantly agreed to go see the oncologist. And it was a very strange appointment. We go to the cancer clinic, the waiting room's packed. It's full of people that are twice my age, three times my age. I'm looking around thinking, gosh, like, God, I don't belong here. Like, what am I doing here? The TV is on in the waiting room and out comes Jack LaLanne. Now, I love it. You know Jack LaLanne. Anyone that's older than us probably knows Jack LaLanne. He's one of the most famous health and wellness fitness experts of the 20th century. He had a black and white TV show about health and fitness. Yes, he did. In the 50s. Yeah. And he comes out on this morning show. I don't know which one it was, but he's like 78 years old. He comes out just full of vigor and enthusiastically talking about health and nutrition and saying, we've gotten away from a healthy diet. We're eating too much processed food and junk food and meat and dairy. And you got to get back to a diet of fruits and vegetables and juices, fresh juices. And I'm like, I can't believe this is on right now on the cancer clinic. And he said, if man made it, don't eat it. And, you know, again, I had been on the raw food diet for a week and I was just starting to understand and believe these things to, you know, to be important. And I'm like, whoa, this is like crazy, right? This is like divine interception, right? Me in the cancer clinic and boom, here's the reinforcement, like that encouragement that I needed that I was on the right path. And I turned to my wife and I was like, can you believe this is on right now in here? And she was like, yeah, it's pretty weird. So unfortunately for cancer patients now, that kind of thing would never happen. Because now cancer clinics have have closed circuit TV. So the TVs that are on are running their own programming for patients that are talking about their benefits of the therapies and stuff like that. So I don't know if they figured this out or whatever, but they don't want to risk anybody coming on TV talking bad about cancer treatment or talking about nutrition to their patients. So anyway, we go back to see the oncologist and you know he just gave me the standard pitch. He was like, look, you've got stage 3C colon cancer, you're 26 years old. It's really aggressive in young adults. You need to do chemotherapy and you have about a 60% chance of living five years with treatment. And I I remember thinking like, man, like 60% chance, that's kind of low. You know, I mean, it's better than 30, but it's it's not as good as like 90. It's a little close to 50 and that's like a coin toss. Pretty close to 50. Yeah. Right. 60%. And who's to say? Like, and who's I mean, where does the statistic come from? I don't know. Like, who's to say if it's maybe it's actually is 50 or less? What I learned later was he actually lied to me. 
60% chance of living five years is the statistic for all cancer patients lumped together. Stage one through stage four, if you average eh, all cancer types, all ages, you know, stages, all that stuff, it's the average cancer patient has a 60% chance of living five years. So for young adult colon cancer, my odds of survival were worse. But he didn't tell me that because he didn't want to scare me, I guess, or whatever. He wanted to give me hope, but that's not hope. That's false hope. That was a lie, right? Mm -hmm. False hope comes from a lie. And so anyway, but even in his like attempt to give me hope, I was not encouraged. And I said, well, okay, are there any other alternative therapies available? And actually before that, either my, my wife or I brought up, well, what about the raw food diet? And he said, no, you can't do that. It'll fight the chemo. Isn't that interesting how weird. often everyone's told all of the really amazing beneficial things you can do to the body or for the body is going to have an impact negatively on chemo? Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like cancer patients, will, if they start drinking carrot juice, they'll go to the, go see their oncologist. The oncologist says, well, no, you, you, you really don't need to drink carrot juice. It's, it's too much vitamin A. But chemo's fine. Right. Right. Chemo is totally fine, but watch out for that carrot juice. Yeah, exactly. Or the antioxidants or the, you know, anything. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to patients and they're just like, oh, you know, it could affect this. And I was like, let's, let's work out the logic here. Right. Yeah. Fruits and vegetables, juice from a carrot, big, big threat. So anyway, so he said, yeah, it'll fight the chemo. Didn't want me to eat a raw food diet. And then I said, well, are there any alternative therapies available? And he, at that point, his demeanor changed. It was like flipped a switch and, and he became condescending and started to basically talking down to me. And he said, no, if you don't do chemotherapy, you're insane. And then he proceeded to keep talking and telling me all the reasons I needed to do chemo. It was a blur. You know, I was just basically, I, the fear took over. And, you know, when you're, when you're in a state of fear, anxiety, fear, your body starts pumping stress hormones mm-hmm. and those hormones interfere with brain function. Like you can't think clearly. No, you cannot. And so he's talking to me. It's like, you know, it's like I'm in peanuts, right? Like, wah, wah, wah. you know, it's like, I don't know what he's saying. He's talking to me. I just want to run out of there, but he's just trying his best to convince me I've got to do chemotherapy. And at one point he said something that was so strange in hindsight, because in the moment I missed it, my wife had to remind me that he said it which was, he was like, blah, blah, blah. He's like, look, I'm not saying this because I need your business. Mm. You know, it's like, whoa, what? What does business have what? to do? Like, Any of it have to do with it. It shouldn't even come out of I his mouth. I didn't know we were here for a business conversation, but the truth is oncologists need patients to make money. You know, doctors need patients to make money. If everybody's healthy, doctors don't make money. Okay. I hear not that. that. Well, I always tell patients like surgery. I'm like, if you're going to go see a surgeon, you're going to get a surgical recommendation. Right. That's what happens. Right. That's what they do. That's what they do. And it, you know, it doesn't mean they're bad people or whatever. No, but not at all. That's what they do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> so anyway, we finished the conversation. He basically tells me in so many words, if you don't do it, I say you're going to die. And I got up in a state of complete fear and like I'd been brainwashed, walked out of that little room, went to the desk and made an appointment to start chemo to get a port put in, you know, the next step before starting chemo in a few weeks. And my wife and I walked out of the clinic, walked to the car, sat in the car and held hands and 
prayed together and I just cried and just choked out a prayer. You know, I was, de- I was devastated. My faith was shattered. I was struggling with fear and hopelessness and just, you know, I walked into the clinic feeling good, you know, and I walked out of there terrified. And that's the big problem. There's many problems in the cancer industry. I'm, you know, one, my book's all about it. It's all about pointing out the perils and pitfalls of conventional cancer treatment. But one of the many problems is that cancer clinics are a fear factory and they use fear to manipulate and motivate patients to say yes to treatments they don't understand. Treatments that may or may not be likely to cure them, treatments that can do more harm than good and can be even be life-threatening. And I don't tell patients not to do treatment. It's not what I do, but what I do is in help them educate themselves on the risks and benefits of treatment. And so they ask the right questions and they can make an informed decision out of based on facts and faith, not a decision based on fear. And I even have a free guide, a free download on my website called 20 questions for your oncologist that anybody listening that has cancer or knows somebody that has cancer, go get this guide. It's, it will absolutely transform the way you look at cancer treatment, the industry, and it'll arm you with the right questions to ask the doctor. So you get answers you are not going to expect to get. You'll get some surprising answers when you ask the right questions. So I was fortunate in that, thank God that I had several weeks to recover from surgery before they wanted to put this port put in. And, you know, if they had said, okay, you need to start chemo tomorrow, I probably would have out of fear. But I had time to get my wits about me, to continue to pray, to read and research, to think about my life and my my future, and to fire up the juicer. And so I just I just didn't know what else to do. So I just kept doing what I was doing: raw foods, tons of fruits and vegetables every day, and juicing. And the next day, I actually went to I had my first consultation with a nutritionist and a naturopath who was also a master herbalist, naturopath, clinical nutritionist. And that meeting was very different than the oncologist meeting. He was encouraging. He prayed with me. He, t- he was the first person to tell me that I was doing the right thing, that I had made the right decision, saying no to chemotherapy. And I was like, I mean, it was just such a huge boost of encouragement that I needed so bad in that moment. And then he connected me with an integrative MD who I ended up working with, who also supported me and encouraged me. Then the scariest part of the journey, when I thought I was the most alone, you know, I stepped out in faith and God provided the people in my life. He brought people into my life that I needed, right? They showed up just at the right time. And, you know, the way I look at it during that time, it was like, I had two options. I had the, the wide, brightly lit, paved road that everybody was going down. And that's the road to the chemo train, right? Everybody's getting on the chemo train. It's this beautiful state-of-the-art train. And on the way of the train, everybody's cheering them on on the sidelines and and making t-shirts for them and running races. And we love you. Oh, yeah, we're here for you. We support you. You're a fighter. You're strong. You can beat this. You can do it. And, you know, you get on the chemo train and the chairs are really comfortable and everyone's so nice and loving and they bring you little cookies and snacks and treats. But as soon as they, that train starts, the suffering starts and 
there's no telling what's going to happen at the end of the line. You have no idea. Am I going to get off at the end better? Am I going to have to get back on? Am I going to get off and then tell me there's nothing they can do because I'm stage four? So that option was scary. And then the other option I had was like the jungle, like a path into the jungle that I had to hack my way through alone in the dark. No support. No treats. No treats. No people running for you. Nobody's cheering. Nobody's running. Everybody's talking about you behind your back like you've lost your mind, right? Mm. And you're you're just in the in the jungle alone. And it was like, that was scary too. I had two scary options. Absolutely. But I knew that the jungle path was the path I had to take. I knew it. In my knower, I knew it. I knew that was the, the path that God had opened up for me. And I made a decision to step out in faith to step out into the unknown and to trust and believe that if God revealed this path to me, that he would see me through. And I also had a sense that if I could get through this, if I could get through the jungle, then I could help other people get through it. I could show other people the way if I could get through. So I had a little bit of a sense that maybe that was in my future, but it wasn't a plan. You know, I didn't plan to write a book. I didn't plan to be a blogger. I have a website or be a speaker. I didn't plan to do any of that. All I want, I just wanted to live and, and forget about cancer, right? I wanted to get well and forget about it. Chris, real quick, when you decided to make the decision to go into the jungle, it was radically changing your life, radically changing your lifestyle. And clearly there's a lot on the line here, but was there any difficulty when you switched straight over to plant-based juicing all the time? Were there moments, because I know so many people really struggle with that transition. You know, did you have any struggle there or you were just like, it doesn't matter, I'm doing the deal. Even if I don't really enjoy it, going from like a fast food, modern American diet to that. How was that transition for you? It was easy for me. It was, okay. It was so easy I, because it was like, it was do or die, you know? Yeah. It was like, I don't care, I'm doing it. I'm eating as, as many vegetables as I can, as, as much food from the earth as I can every day. I'm going to overdose on nutrition. That's what I'm going to do. And I figured out a way to make it work for me every day. And yeah, the first the first week I didn't feel that good, the first few days. Because when you transition from a standard American diet to a raw food diet, your body's like, what? Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It, it, doesn't know, it doesn't know what to do with that stuff, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Like, it doesn't know what to do with broccoli. If you, you know, if you never eat broccoli, all of a sudden your digestive tract, you know, it might act up on you a little bit. You might get some cramping or some diarrhea. You, uh, some people get very low energy, you know, for the, for a day or two when they get away from eating a diet that's based on heavy amounts of meat, dairy, sugar, salt, and oils. So you have several things happening at once, food withdrawal, detoxification, and an adaptation, right? So there's a, there's a process where your body, the human body's adaptive, it adapts to what you eat. And so even that your microbiome, the bacteria that lines your gut will change. It will shift. The, the bacterial population will shift dramatically within just a couple of weeks when you go from eating a, a meat-based diet to a plant-based diet. And so, so yeah, I mean, but to me, it was like, I don't care. Like, and I had been reading books and I'd read enough to, to understand that like, this is what's going to happen. You know, you're going to feel bad for the first few days during the transition. And so I expected it. And so it was okay. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, okay, they said this would happen. 
Like, so let me just push on. Unfortunately, some people, they try to start eating healthy, like a plant-based diet or a raw food diet or whatever. And they feel bad the first day or the first couple of days. And they're like, oh, I just can't do it. I just need my meat, you know? And it's like, no, you don't understand. You just have, it just takes a minute to adapt. That's all. Just takes a few days for your body to adapt. And you just got to get over that little hump. And good things are happening. In the meantime, even though you feel lousy, good things are happening. So yeah, that was easy, but I understand how it can be hard. It can definitely be hard for people when they don't have a life-threatening disease, right? It can be hard to make healthy choices when you're quote unquote healthy, right? And it can be hard to make healthy choices when you are using food as medication. Well, and also when you're being told by your doctors so often that it doesn't matter. You know, I had a good friend of mine who was diagnosed with thyroid cancer three months ago, and I had sent her everything. Sent her to you, sent her all, you know, all everything that I had. I was one of the first person she calls, but then she, she goes to the hospital, she gets the surgery, and she asks her doctor, who she's feeling pretty comfortable with and trusts. And she got the exact same answer as you did and really doubted everything that I had said. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It's so crazy. Like she's like, well, he said I could just eat anything. And I was like, well, that's a lie. <laughs> you know, people love good news about their bad habits. That's true. They love it. Right. And they can read 10 books about nutrition and then one comment from their doctor and it's all out the window right? And I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of problems in the cancer industry. And one of them you just brought up and I'm going to elaborate on it. It's every, almost every cancer patient, when they're sitting with the doctor in the first visit, they want to know like, why do you think I got cancer? How'd this happen to me? Right? And the doctors almost always say it's either bad luck or it's genetic. Hmm. No choice. No, no lifestyle choices. Know that you had some kind of role to play. Yeah. The, the underlying message is there's nothing you did to contribute to your disease. And therefore there's nothing you can do to help yourself except for show up for treatment, right? We are your only hope. And, and you just go home and eat whatever you want. You know, treatment's going to be difficult. So we just want to make sure we don't want to deprive you of your favorite foods. And by the way, you should probably eat more ice cream, milkshakes, and pizza and, and cheeseburgers because that'll help you not lose too much weight during treatment. This is what cancer patients are being told every day. And it's tragic on two levels. One is they become powerless victims, right? You're a powerless victim. Your situation has nothing to do with your choices. You're just unlucky. Sorry, you're a victim. Mm-hmm. Can't help yourself. We are your only hope. And the other thing is, oh, and by the way, go keep doing what you're doing or even eat more junk food and fast food and processed food and meat and dairy, cancer fuelers. Go eat more of those foods that fuel cancer growth. I mean, it's it's just borderline criminal negligence on several levels. So that's what's happening, right? But for me, it was like, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna transform my life. I'm gonna take control of my situation. We should all work with doctors right? They're a part of your team, but you're in the driver's seat. If you're not in the driver's seat, if you're a passenger, like if you're hogtied in the back, that's not a healthy relationship. No, it's right? not. No. If you're in, in a relationship with a doctor who is rude, that won't listen to you, that laughs at what you're doing to try to help yourself or laughs, scoffs at you, or tries to talk you out of trying to help yourself, you need to get out of that doctor relationship and find a doctor that supports you because they're out there. 
there are doctors out there that understand the value of nutrition, how powerful it is. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of studies published on the anti-cancer compounds in fruits and vegetables, especially in the, the value of a plant-based diet for cancer prevention and healing. I mean, it's ridiculous how much evidence we have on this, but it is for some reason, well, we know the reason there's no money in it. There's no money in nutrition. There's no money in lifestyle medicine. There's no money in exercise, nutrition, stress reduction. So the cancer industry has basically just put up a barrier, right, to that information because all the money's in drug therapies, surgery, and radiation treatment. So some of them are okay with it. Sure, okay, yeah, do whatever you want. But the pharmaceutical industry has such a stranglehold on the medical industry, that they will not let that information become a part of cancer treatment. And they're not going to fund studies on it either, right? Who's funding the studies? The big pharma. They're not going to fund a study on a nutrition and lifestyle intervention for cancer patients. That'd be crazy. Why would they? That's just, to them, that's just a waste of money, right? They're only funding studies on drugs that have the potential to make billions of dollars. Those are the studies they fund. That's where they want their money to go on the next billion dollar blockbuster drug. So when people say that conventional medicine is science-based and evidence-based medicine, that's a total ruse because it's really patent-based, profit-based medicine because they ignore all the science and evidence behind nutrition and lifestyle medicine. We only look at the science and evidence that can lead to a billion dollar drug. That's the reality and the truth of science-based medicine today. But, you know, the public doesn't know this stuff. They don't think about these things. Only nutrition geeks mm -hmm. like you and me think about this stuff. It's so disappointing to watch so many people you know or your readers. Literally, I feel like their choices, their everything's taken from them. They feel like that's the case. I think that's a big part that what you're talking about, you know, this podcast is about becoming the CEO of your health. We talk about that all the time. How do you get your power back? How do you get what you need? I mean, this is why this is why you're here, is to really shed light on that. Right. That we we've got to look deeper. Yeah, absolutely. You have to take the reins, take control of your situation. You have to be the driver in your healing journey. And if you're the driver, then you can you can bring a lot of people along for the ride to support you. And that's that's exactly the way it needs to go. So the rest of my story is that, you know, I assembled a team, I went radically changed my diet, my lifestyle, started investigating all the the causes of cancer and started eliminating from them from my life. Of course, detoxifying my body, detoxifying my home, replacing toxic cleaning products, body care products, stuff you talk about all the time. And then I started looking as, as I was sort of, you know, sifting through my life and looking for any clues, any hidden cancer causers. I was just didn't want to leave any stone unturned. I finally turned my attention toward my mental, emotional and spiritual life. And I realized after coming across this information multiple times from multiple sources that stress is a root cause of most cancer and most disease. It's something the medical and scientific community really can't get a hold on. You know, it's hard to measure stress. It's hard to do a test on stress. It's hard to quantify stress. But stress is a catch-all term that really is the easiest way to describe all negative emotion. All negative emotions produce stress. Negative thoughts and negative emotions produce stress. So what are those? Envy, jealousy, bitterness, resentment unforgiveness, shame, self 
loathing, self-hatred, guilt, all of those negative thoughts and emotions create stress in your body. It starts in your mind, translates into your body. And when you're in stress, and I didn't say fear, worry, and anxiety, which of course I should mention, when you're living in a state of chronic stress, like you're worrying about stuff, you're envious of others, you're jealous, you've you've holding grudges toward people, right? You've got all this swirling negativity and stress in your life. And guess what it does? It raises your stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol. And those hormones, when they're raised out of a state of stress and fear and worry, they are inflammatory, they promote inflammation in the body, and they suppress your immune system. And when you live in a state of chronic stress, a state of chronic inflammation and immunosuppression, guess what? You are in a state, your body becomes an environment where cancer can thrive. That's the key. You are changing the environment of your body into one where cancer can thrive. And so eliminating stress from my life became a major item on my to-do list, right? Reducing, simplifying, and then catching myself when I was thinking negatively and choosing to think positively, right? Because we it's easy to think negatively. I feel like we're hardwired for that, Chris, yes. a lot. Honestly, I could tell you, it is easier for me to eat fruits and vegetables than it is to conquer a state of stress. Yeah. I would have to say that has to had to be the hardest part is to that practice. The, the practice. And there's practical things. I talk about this in the book in great mm. detail. Some of the practical steps of this is one, there's a, a term that a lot of your listeners have heard. It's called mindfulness. Mm-hmm. But what mindfulness really is, is just catching your thoughts, right? When you start to think negatively or critically about somebody, you you just catch it like, oh, I'm I'm being critical right now. I'm being judgmental right now. And I'm going to choose not to be, right? Like I retract that. Like I'm going to choose not to be. Or if something negative happens, something happens that you perceive as negative, right? And, you, and you're like, wow, man, this stinks. Like, oh, I'm irritated. And, and then right in that moment, you say, okay, wait a second. I don't have to be upset about this. Something good is going to come out of this bad thing. And so you start to look for silver linings, right? In the cloud. So again, this is retraining your brain to look for the positive in every situation instead of focusing on the negative. And so I, I did, I started doing that and I started looking at my own life. And when I, when the fear and worry and anxiety would creep in, I would give my fear to God immediately. I just say, God, I'm giving you my fear. I trust you. You're in control. And I'm just laying it down. Like I'm laying it at the feet of Jesus. Like, here you go. I'm giving you my fear. And in, in that process, I would also exercise gratitude. So immediately afterward, I would just start saying thank you, right? I'm giving you my fear and thank you for my life. Thank you for my beautiful bride. Thank you for this little baby that we have on the way. Thank you that I have enough money in the bank to pay my next set of bills. Thank you that we have a roof over our head and we and our cars work, right? Thank you for that I have clothing, that I don't live in a third world country, right? That I still have my arms and legs. I mean, how you can do this for days. Right? You can do it for days, yeah. And when you and when you do it, all of a sudden your your mood changes, your attitude changes, everything changes. Like gratitude is the secret to happiness. Is giving thanks to God for all the good things in your life. You shift your attention away from the bad thing that's trying to consume you, consume your attention, and you shift it to all the good things. And the good things always outweigh the one bad thing. You know, we've got way more good in our life than bad. And 
for cancer patients, especially, I, I find myself saying this a lot is I know you're not happy with your situation. I know cancer is bad news. I know it's frustrating. You're fearful and worried and discouraged. I know that. But I want you to remind yourself this, that right now there are people dying in the hospital of cancer that would give anything to trade places with you. Anything to trade places with you. People all over the world in much worse situations would give anything to trade places with you. So count your blessings. Don't let worry and fear about what could happen to you tomorrow steal your joy today. And so, you know, I just had to learn that. It's a practice and it's a discipline. And I just had to keep doing it day, day by day by day. When the fear crept in, I would quickly give my fear to God and say, I trust you. You're in control. Like, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm choosing not to be afraid. You know, I didn't know we were going to get to have this part of the conversation. I'm so happy that we're talking about this. Good. Yeah. I love talking about this stuff. It's because it's, you know, you can do everything right, quote unquote, everything right. Do all the conventional treatment in the world, the best that conventional medicine has to offer. You can do the best that natural nutrition, alternative medicine has to offer. But if you don't address the root causes of disease in your life, the stress in your life, the bitterness and resentment, unforgiveness, you probably won't get well. Because those stress is what leads us to self-medicate. Stress leads us to the bad behaviors that cause a lot of disease, right? Overeating leads to obesity. Obesity is the second leading cause of cancer. It's the number one cause of heart disease and diabetes, right? It all comes from overeating, which is a way that we self-medicate from stress. So you can walk backwards, right? You can follow the trail back to the source and the source is stress. Stress leads us to smoke and and abuse alcohol, abuse drugs, to get on prescription medication and never get off, to become workaholics, to become sex addicts. Stress, like all of those things are are ways that we're self-medicating. And unless you deal with the root cause of your stress, right, whatever it is, and it's maybe multiple things, then you're going to be stuck in a pattern of self-medicating. And that leads to disease. So one of the biggest things anyone listening here, anyone can do for themselves, one of the most powerful gifts you can give yourself is the choice, making the choice to forgive every person who has ever hurt you. Every person who has ever hurt you. Because holding on to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness is toxic. It's a toxic emotion that produces toxic effects in your body, suppresses your immune system, promotes inflammation and leads to disease. And so I made a decision to to forgive everybody who had ever hurt me. And you can't just pray one prayer and say, okay, I forgive everybody. (laughs) That's, That's not the way it works. You have to quietly in a prayerful state, get alone, close your eyes, and then just start thinking through your life and try to remember every person who ever hurt you in some way, whether they hurt your feelings, abandoned you, let you down, cheated you, cheated on you, abused you, right? Stole from you, lied to you. As you start to think about the people in your life who've hurt you, and as they come up, like they're going to come up, you'll remember things you haven't thought about in a long time because you've been self-medicating or trying to forget, but let them come up and then you deal with it directly and you say, God, this person, let's just say John, John hurt me. 
You know what he did. You know how I feel about it. I'm still upset. It still hurts. I'm still mad, but I'm choosing to forgive. I'm just choosing to forgive him and I'm letting it go and I'm giving it to you. He's all yours. He's all yours. And I'm not going to hold it against him anymore. And I'm also, as much as I don't want this, I'm also asking you to bless him. Asking you to bless his his business and his family and his kids. I'm asking you to bless him. And uh, you know I don't want, want, want you to, but I'm asking you to anyway. <laughs> and you know what happens when you pray that way? God changes your heart. I mean, miraculous change in your heart will happen when you pray to forgive that exact way, right? You, you let them go, you give them to God and you ask God to bless them. And I get it. You don't want him to, I get it, but he'll honor that. He'll honor you. He'll honor your request and he will heal your heart. And that is so profoundly powerful for your mental state, emotional state, and physical state forgiveness is huge. And I made the decision to do that. I did it. I worked through, forgave everyone who had hurt me in life. And by the way, I didn't have any major life trauma. Nobody abused me. My parents didn't get divorced. Like, you know, I didn't have any major issues like some people have, but you know, I had a lot of little stuff and the little stuff adds up to be, to be big stuff, right? Hmm. Throw a lot of little stuff on a pile. You get a big pile. (laughs) (laughs) And so I not only made that decision and worked through and just started forgiving people like crazy, I also realized and decided I need to be quick to forgive, right? Quick to forgive going forward because people are always going to hurt you, offend you, let you down, whatever. And so I just said, I'll just be quick to forgive. And somebody hurts me. I'm just like, you know what? I forgive them, letting them go. God, they're all yours. Like bless them. I I don't understand why they did that. I'm not going to take it personally. I'm just, I'm just going to move on. And that's come in handy in spades because I get attacked all the time now. (laughs) So like speaking out about nutrition for cancer healing and prevention has drawn a lot of attacks to me personally. And people say some of the nastiest things ever about me, accuse me of all kinds of things that aren't true and call me all kinds of names I won't repeat. And I just forgive them and let it go. Well, you have to when you're on a mission like this, when you are helping to change lives. I mean, your your program or your the way that you want to help people support their cancer journey is not the most... I mean, I feel like it's gaining more traction. There's so many of us talking about it today, but it's not the most popular. So I can imagine, you know, by sharing this particular message that it takes a lot of bravery, Chris. And that's why I really was praising you earlier for being willing to share your truth, for being willing to be authentic and not always be very popular in what you're sharing with the world. And that's that's big. Thank you. Yeah. Well, there's something more important, right? Yes. Bigger than us, right? Bigger than us. And and there's a quote that I found years and years ago that just, I loved it so much. And it's this, and this kind of goes back to the fear thing too. And you just talked about bravery, but the quote is courage is not the absence of fear, but the realization that there's something more important than fear. And, you know, courage is, is moving forward in spite of your fears. That's what real courage is. Courage is not a feeling. Nobody feels brave. Nobody feels courageous. What they feel is fear, (laughs) right? They feel fear. 
But courage is the decision to move forward in spite of the fear. And you think about soldiers on a battlefield, right? They're afraid, but they're either moving forward or they're running away, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the way I addressed it when I had cancer and I was afraid and I stepped into the jungle alone. I was afraid. Yeah, it was The fear was real, but I, I knew it's what I had to do. And so I never once felt brave or courageous. <laughs> I only felt afraid, but I wanted to live and survive and get well. And, and I knew deep down I had to take control of my situation and radically change everything and take massive action to help myself. And I was also trusting God along the way, right? So it was a partnership. It was me changing everything and trusting him to lead me in the process of healing. And he did. I can say without a doubt, he did. He worked all of all things for my good. He worked the bad thing for the good. And like I said earlier, when bad things happen to us in life, you have two ways to process it. You can, you know, dwell on it and and get down on yourself or or pity. I mean, uh, feel sorry for yourself and mope and whatever. Or you can say, you know what? I don't like this, but God's going to work this for my good. Something good hap- is going to happen. There's a blessing right around the corner because of this. And that's what I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that the blessing's coming because of this adversity. Something, something good is going to come out of this. And we can all look back on our lives and see when bad stuff happened and that good, something good came out of it, right? In hindsight, we can look back mm-hmm. at so many bad things. Where it's, man, yeah, that was terrible. But you know, if that hadn't happened, then this other thing wouldn't have happened, which was actually really good, right? And obstacles come into our life for several reasons. They come into our life for because they're either meant for us to overcome them or they come into our life because they are intended and meant to divert us onto a new path. So when you remind yourself of that, it gives you a, a different perspective you know, on your problems, right? Nobody likes problems, but they're in, the, they're in your life for a reason to either for you to overcome them and make you stronger, smarter, wiser, or to divert you onto a new path, the path you're supposed to be on because you're on the wrong one. I love it, Chris. Now, Chris, honey, can you, before we we close up, because I feel like you've given us so many amazing lessons in terms of just addressing you know, our stress, getting our body back on track. Tell us a little bit about the book and one, where to get the book. Where should we be getting this book? Yes. This book is blowing up. So, so happy to share this. Blowing up. Yep. It's it's top seller on Amazon right now, which is exciting. It's Chris Beat Cancer, a comprehensive plan for healing naturally. It's yes, on Amazon. It's published by Hay House. So it's it's also in all major booksellers like Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, anywhere books are sold that you can get this book. Now it may not be in some little bookstores, but they can all order it for you because it's distributed by Penguin and Random House. Pretty much you can get it anywhere. And don't just buy one copy, buy a couple, because by the time you finish your copy, you're going to realize I need more copies of this book to give to people I care about, because there are people in your life that either have cancer now that need this book. This book is for them or are going to be diagnosed with cancer in the near future. And this book is for them, right? They need this book and it will give them so much inspiration, encouragement and practical steps on how to approach treatment, how to make wise decisions, how to transform their life and support their body's ability to heal. It's all in there. I know I'm buying multiple copies myself. Thank you. Absolutely. There are so many people, you know, in the last 
Oh, goodness, Chris. Heartbreaking. And I know you hear this all the time. Just in the last month alone, we've lost family or I've had friends who've had family diagnosed. One of our team members just found out her mom, her cancer came back just yesterday, actually. Mm. So we are buying lots of books. Our mutual friend who you introduced me to, Robin Openshaw of Green Smoothie Girl, (laughs) wrote a great review of the book. And she said, I've read an embarrassing number of books on cancer. Yes, she has. And this one is the best, all caps. And I bought a case, that's 12 books, to give to people I care about. Mm, So yeah, you know, I've done the same thing with other books in the past. (laughs) Bought a case of books like, man, I got to have this book ready in case somebody somebody in my life is going to need it. So all your listeners, go buy a case. I love it, Chris. Yes, go buy a case. My publisher will be very happy if you buy a case. Yes, they will. <laughs> and Hay House is such a great publishing company. Congratulations. They've been, yeah, they've been really great to me, really wonderful. And it it just came at the perfect time. They could not have come at a better time. Funny story. I was actually, you know, was introduced to a, a book agent, a, a top literary agent who, you know, I won't mention her name, but, and she turned her nose up at me and I was disappointed and I was like, cause I thought, oh man, this is it. Okay. I, and this now is my opportunity to, to get a book deal and write my book. And after, you know, she passed me off to like her underling and that person, you know, basically said like, no, oh, you should self publish. And I was disappointed, right. And discouraged, but I reminded myself, okay, this is not the right fit for me. There's a reason they're saying no. This is not the right fit. It's not the right time. It's not the right fit. I don't know, but I'm okay with it. Just kept kept on doing my thing. And then at the perfect time when I was ready, I was really ready to write this book, Hay House just showed up and offered me a book deal, like with no agent. Like it was just just such a cool kind of little mini miracle or maybe a big miracle, right? And the funny thing about Hay House was that they were the only publisher I really wanted to talk to and they came to me. So it was, yeah, pretty cool. I think it's so cool because it really ties into, you know, there's a lot of reasons why things don't work out, you know, and I had a very, very similar experience. So yeah, things are meant to work out the way they're meant to work out. And I think that's a great way to end this too today is that you just got to be looking at the, your life in that lens, that there's these moments that we're, we're given and they're for a reason. And You know, it's all about just keeping that really positive mindset, being just grateful for all the things that we have and, and making choices that are, that are really empowering for us. You know, we get to choose in and I talk so much about hormone issues and I, I, I have had so many issues with hormones and stress and I'm like, I really, I created that. There's a lot. I played a role in a lot of that. You know, and when you get to take ownership of it, that's when you really get to see that big change. So I hope you guys are walking away with that message that there's a lot more control and more empowerment that you have on this journey. And we get to really choose into the things that are really going to serve us. Couldn't agree more. We, We tend to pile stress on ourselves without realizing it. And it can really break you down over time. Stress is so profoundly powerful. So the sooner you can take a step back, look at your life and start taking steps to reduce stressors from your life, including people that maybe need to go, the better. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, honey, thank you so much. And again, congratulations. I'm so happy to be able to be here with you and to share your message. It's been such a blessing to have you on today. And I'm rooting for you, baby, you, uh, that Marisa. we keep spreading this message. Yes.
All right, Handsome, I know you've got other interviews to do. There's a lot of, lot of spreading this word, and I know I'll be talking with you soon. Okay, great. So much fun. Thanks again. Absolutely. Bye, Henny. Bye. There was a moment in Chris's story that gave me pause. Over the last three months, I have watched people close to me get diagnosed with cancer or even die from cancer. I realized that Chris's plan may sound revolutionary or even risky to some people, but he made a great point today that if you've been diagnosed with cancer, your body is telling you that something isn't right and that you need to create radical change in order for cancer to not thrive in your body. I want to invite you to go out and purchase Chris's book, or at the very least, download his 20 questions for your oncologist guide. You will find both links in the show notes at drmarisa.com episode 40. And I also just want to quickly say, Join me on October 22nd for the start of the free online essential oil hormone summit. Again, 29 remarkable women have gathered for a cause bigger than themselves. These interviews are powerful and they will shift the way that you approach your body and healthcare. You can also head on over to the show notes at drmarisa.com episode 40 to register for the summit today. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and listening to the Essentially You podcast. Coming up, I am going to be the podcast person. I'm going to be talking about how to love up on your menstrual cycle with the power of essential oils. This is going to be such a fun episode, so I can't wait to see you there. And also, I love that this podcast is getting more popular. More women are listening to it. So if you have a moment, just go in and rate and review the Essentially You podcast on iTunes. That way I can continue to serve you and all of the other amazing women out there who are ready to become healers in their own home. See you guys soon. Bye.